Hello and welcome to the Lancet Infectious Diseases June podcast. I'm Sally Hargreaves and I'm joined today by Susie Hoffman and Theresa Exner, authors of a reflection and reaction piece in this month's issue of TLID. Both are academics at the HIV Centre for Clinical and Behavioural Studies at Columbia University in New York and are part of a team of researchers exploring issues around promotion of the female condom. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners exactly what the female condom is and a bit more about how it works? The female condom is a polyurethane sheath or pouch about 17 centimeters long. At each end, there's a flexible ring. At the closed end of the sheath, the flexible ring is inserted into the vagina to hold the female condom in place. At the other open end of the sheath, The ring stays outside the vulva at the entrance to the vagina. The female condom has been available in Europe since 1992 and was approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in 1993. It's available in many countries, at least in limited quantities. In 2005, the makers of the female condom announced a new product called FC2. This has the same design as the original, but it's made of nitrile which is synthetic latex and may make it cheaper to produce. And what benefits does the female condom offer to women? Well, the female condom has many attractive features, apart from its effectiveness in preventing STIs and unintended pregnancy. As Dr. Hoffman already mentioned, it's made of polyurethane, which conducts heat and provides women and men with more sensation, more akin to what they'd feel during unprotected intercourse. It can be inserted up to eight hours before intercourse, so sex does not have to be interrupted. Many men enjoy the woman taking care of protection, and many women have found that the female condom allows them to introduce a barrier method to a partner who otherwise would not be open to condom use. I want to stress, however, that it's important not to pit female condoms versus male condoms, as if one or the other needs to be promoted as superior. Male condoms work for some, female condoms work for some. And as highlighted in TLID's editorial this month, we know that the female condom accounts for a mere 0.2% of total condom supply globally. Is it, in your opinion, underused? And if so, why? Well, the numbers speak for themselves. Surely an efficacious pregnancy and STI prevention method with such low uptake would lead anyone to ask why. The reasons are multifaceted. I'd like to highlight four. Uh, First, Lack of supply is a major problem, as the Lancet Infectious Disease editorial points out, and the cost remains a barrier. Especially in resource-constrained settings, female condom promotional programs will need political and economic governmental commitment. Second, there are challenges with the method itself. The female condom is not an off-the-shelf method. Like the diaphragm, it takes practice to learn how to correctly insert it, use it, and remove it. Too often, it's distributed like a party favor with no training, leading many women to have initially frustrating experiences that lead to discontinuation. There also is considerable media and provider bias against the method. There are too few instances of comprehensive promotional campaigns that garner support from key players and provide adequate training to the providers who who are in a position to either promote or marginalize the method. And finally, when female condoms are promoted only to so-called high-risk populations for STI prevention, this effectively stigmatizes the method. Most women in high HIV prevalence countries are being infected by primary partners. These women do not necessarily see themselves as high-risk, and promoting the female condom only for STI prevention purposes seems misguided. 
how many women in their primary relationships are going to listen to that sales pitch and line up? Ah, a method to prevent my beloved from giving me a disease. That's the method for me. You know, alternately, the female condom can and should be promoted as an effective non-hormonal contraceptive, which can incidentally provide excellent STI prevention. Would you say, therefore, that we now need to work harder towards better promoting its use? We definitely need to work harder to promote the female condom. The global HIV epidemic is now increasingly affecting women who represent 60% of new infections in some African countries. At the present time, the female condom is the only available effective alternative to the male condom. It is the only disease prevention method that women can initiate on their own. A few years ago, there was a great deal of hope that we would have an effective microbicide on the market by now, granting women and men an alternative to the male condom, but that has not come to pass as quickly as we hoped. It's true that the female condom is not invisible to men, and women need to gain the cooperation of their partners to use it in most cases. But using the female condom is very different from using the male condom. First, women can insert it well before sexual intercourse because you don't need an erect penis. Second, women report that if their partner does not want to use a male condom, having their own condom changes the whole discussion. We are learning as well that many women, at least those in intimate partnerships, do not want to use a method secretly. They do want a method that does not decrease sexual pleasure, and they do want a method that can be positioned as protecting against pregnancy rather than disease. The female condom fits the bill on both counts. So going back to the issue of why the female condom is currently so underused globally, I'm aware that there are two main criticisms levelled at the female condom. Firstly, that it isn't as effective as the male condom. And secondly, that women don't like using it. So let's take the first point. Is it less effective? And what does the research say? Actually, at this point in time, most people agree that the female condom is closely comparable in efficacy to the male condom for both pregnancy prevention and HIV prevention. In the past few years, there have been two large trials using prostate-specific antigen, PSA, as a marker for semen exposure. One is the Brazil study mentioned in your editorial. 400 couples were randomly assigned to use first either the male or the female condom and then to switch to the other method. Only about 2 to 3% of uses for each method resulted in exposure levels to semen that were compatible with the transfer of large numbers of HIV copies. The authors of this study concluded that both devices are highly protective against high-level semen exposures, although there were more mechanical problems with the female than the male condom, such as slipping out of the vagina or getting pushed inside it. The study found that education is an effective means for reducing these user problems. I think the larger criticism in this regard is that promoting the female condom along with the male condom in the real world does not increase the number of protected sex occasions more than does promoting the male condom alone. And therefore, some funders have argued that given that the female condom is more expensive to purchase than the male condom, there needs to be really good evidence that there's an added benefit to aggressively promoting the female condom. Even on this point, however, we believe that there's sufficient evidence in hand to demonstrate that adding female condoms to a male condom distribution system increases the number of sex acts protected and results in a decline in the prevalence of STIs. 
For example, in a recently published field study, adding the female condom to a male condom promotional program among sex workers in Madagascar resulted in a larger proportion of protected sex acts and a decline in STI prevalence over a 12-month period. What about my second point, that women don't like using it? The research shows that, just like with everything else, some women and men like it and some don't. And frankly, this is an odd criticism to me. Many men do not like, indeed refuse, to use male condoms, but that has not stopped us from widely promoting their use. Moreover, it's odd to hear such a criticism when American advertising has created demand for all kinds of things that consumers may not have liked initially. So, for example, we know that tampons were not initially accepted by women, and certainly now they're quite popular. Let me give you some figures from recent acceptability studies. Overall, acceptability rates range from 37 to 96 percent. In a study among female sex workers in China, 94 percent were willing to use the female condom. Among female sex workers in Thailand, 68 percent were satisfied with it. And among rural women in Zimbabwe, 93 percent liked it. And then we have the evidence from several places, such as Zimbabwe, where women's groups organized and 30,000 signed a petition demanding that their government introduce the female condom. Now, I'm going to be honest. Compared to a hormonal injection once a month, the female condom is a harder sell. Women need to be taught to be comfortable inserting something in their vagina. They need the opportunity to practice both inserting and having sex with the female condom. And they also need help introducing it to their partners. But some would say that we have no way of knowing what the real demand is for the female condom because it has never been adequately promoted. When we did a study in New York City among counselors in HIV AIDS and family planning agencies, a common refrain that we heard was, if it's so wonderful, why don't we see any public promotion of it? Why don't we see billboards and TV ads? People expect that. Amid rapid scale-up of other HIV prevention programs, most notably male circumcision, it, it seems to me that the female condom has been somehow left off the agenda. Why is this? Discomfort with women taking sexual initiative, reflexive dismissal based on hearsay and appearance, short-sighted cost considerations that fail to understand the population-level data which show that even at current pricing it is cost-effective, it's hard to fathom. I see no reasonable justification. And is anyone attempting to address any of these shortfalls? Yes. In September of 2005, more than 100 experts from 15 countries met in Baltimore, Maryland at the Global Consultation on the Female Condom to discuss the status of the female condom worldwide and develop a plan of action to build support. A key goal of the plan is to gather the support of donors, policymakers, and women's health advocates worldwide to make the case for immediate, widespread promotion and distribution of female condoms as an important way to protect women, men, families, and communities. As a result of this initiative and others, women's advocates are now taking the lead in bringing the female condom back onto the global AIDS agenda. As one example, UNFPA, the United Nations Population Fund is helping 23 countries across the world to implement female condom programs through its intensified global initiative. This is a five-year condom support program aimed at longer-term commitment and sustainability. The aim is to make female condoms a budget line item in the health budget of each country. There are other things happening as well. 
For example, our team, along with the New York State AIDS Institute, is currently evaluating a statewide structural intervention designed to better promote the female condom through an initiative that provides increased distribution while simultaneously targeting agency policies and practices that could influence promotional efforts, as well as the frontline providers, counselors, and outreach staff who conduct risk reduction counselling. So in your opinion, do you think there's sufficient political commitment to scaling up access to the female condom in resource-poor settings? There certainly is not. Not only the U.S. government, but other national governments need to make female condom promotion and distribution a meaningful budget line. And yes, that takes political will and commitment. UNAIDS and the WHO have both been major proponents of the female condom, yet still more needs to be done. I am particularly disappointed that the WHO, which disseminated research findings pertaining to the strength of the female condom and its potential for reuse, failed to go the further step and provide reuse guidelines, instead leaving it up to local health departments who basically have to have the fortitude to go it alone without the WHO imprimatur should they decide to promote reuse. So what lessons would you say we've learned over the past decade in terms of promoting greater use of the female condom? We've learned a number of key lessons. First, strong and sustained governmental support is critical for an enduring program. Government agencies need to demonstrate commitment, enthusiasm, and momentum for carrying a program forward from its beginning. Second, growing demand for the method once created needs to be sustained with an adequate and consistent supply of female condoms. Too many programs have started up but faltered because of an inadequate procurement and distribution system or because national and international support wavered. You can't give women two female condoms to use until their next clinic visit in three months and expect that they will adopt the method. To put it in economic terms, that will surely prevent the solidification of demand. Third, we've learned that the countries with the strongest female condom programs use diverse intervention approaches, targeting different population segments and risk groups. For example, distributing female condoms in hair salons as well as in clinics. Mainstreaming the female condom through social marketing, that is through widespread advertising to all segments of the population, allows discussion of sex and protection to become everyday concepts. And finally, quality training of providers, counselors, and outreach workers is a core element of a sustained female condom program and needs to be built in at the outset. We know that providers often are really ill-informed or have negative views of barrier methods and training can fill these gaps and alter their views. Is cost an issue? I know it's something that you mentioned in your reflection and reaction piece in this month's TLID. The female condom, I believe, costs 90 US cents, whereas the male condom only costs 10 cents. Do you think, therefore, that cost is a barrier to an effective scale-up of female condom programs globally? And, and what should be done? Well, indeed, it is a barrier. In 1996, UNAIDS and the manufacturer agreed to support a reduced price of $0.57 U.S. for bulk orders by public sector agencies in developing countries, but that's obviously still more than the male condom. Some things are being done. Uh, FC2, the female condom 2, made of synthetic latex, similar design to the polyurethane condom, which Dr. Hoffman already described, has been approved by the WHO, and approval is being sought by the FDA. It will be cheaper than the current female condom, but still not as cheap as the male condom. 
However, this is a case of the chicken and egg. To bring down the price, we've got to get purchasing up. Someone has got to spend money to increase use. A study in 2006 found that countrywide distribution equivalent to 10% of condom sales would be useful and cost-effective for HIV prevention. The cost savings could be greatly increased if 300 million female condom twos were acquired through a global purchasing mechanism, which would cut the price per condom by two-thirds. And lastly, how optimistic are you about the future role of the female condom? We're very optimistic about its potential, and we're cautiously optimistic that its uptake will be increased. We're optimistic that with the growing recognition that women need an STI and pregnancy prevention method, which they can initiate, and that couples need options beyond the male condom, that there will be greater advocacy and support for the female condom. There's not going to be any single magic bullet to slow the AIDS epidemic, but I think prevention workers and funders are beginning to recognize that the female condom needs to be part of a comprehensive program for sexual and reproductive health. Hopefully, this support and advocacy will lead to increased funding, program development, and implementation. Susie Hoffman and Teresa Exner, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet Infectious Diseases. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Other things to look out for in this month's issue include a review on contact investigation of close contacts of people with pulmonary tuberculosis, which concludes that contact investigation merits more serious consideration 